could open it up, but we can go right in to the presence of God. What an amazing invitation to go through the gates. Go through the gates. Prepare the way of the people. Prepare the way. People, we've got to prepare the way and wear the way. And he says, cast up the highway. I believe he's turning over areas in our hearts. He's turning over because we're the highway of the Lord and it's a highway of holiness. And he's turning over our hearts. And he says, gather out the stones. There's hard things that are on the highway that have to go. There's things that have got to be exposed and, and, and taken out of the way because there's a highway that God wants to come through. And this is a time to, to get away with some of those stones and lift up a standard for the people. We're going to lift up a banner, lift up an ensign, because God is coming into the house in a new way. And isn't this an amazing time to prepare your heart? And uh, the only veil now, the only thing that's stopping us from entering in to the very presence of God is a veil that's on our own hearts. It's a heart stuff that will stop us. Just look at a couple of verses about the heart. 1 Corinthians 3, 15 to 16. See, already God's been talking to us to church this morning through Dave and through Andy about in the midst of all sorts of things that might happen, we're called to prevail. We're a different breed of people. But it's going to take something within us. It's going to take a people that will be like um, Paul in the Bible who's keeping their hearts turning to the Lord. Let's have a look. 1 Corinthians 3, 15 and 16 and 18. One, it says... Um, Corinthians, maybe it's two Corinthians. Oh, sorry, it's two Corinthians three. It says, but even it's talking about the Jewish people whose eyes have been blinded so they can't see. Actually, I'm very glad their eyes have been blinded because if they could see, they would have already entered into what God had for them, and the Gentiles wouldn't have had a chance. But because their eyes have been blinded, now that we are able to enter into the things that God has purposed. But we've also got blindness around our eyes, some of us. And, and it says, when it, when the heart, it is, will turn to the Lord, the veil will be taken away. And I believe there's a, a ray of living where we can keep our hearts turned towards the Lord and keep an awareness of his presence around us 24-7, even when we're asleep, even when we're going about our work. In our hearts, there can be a turning and a drawing and a focusing on the Lord. We can live like this. Then that veil will be taken away. And in verse 18, it'll be like an unveiled face. It will be an openness. We'll be able to then behold and gaze upon the Lord. We'll be able to meditate and draw and see him in all his glory and all his beauty. And we'll be changed into the same sort of person. It's a metamorphosis will take place. Our DNA will change. It'll be like a caterpillar going to a butterfly. We'll actually be transformed and become a new breed of person. If, our, if that veil can be removed and we can just behold him, even the reflection of him, like in, a, like in the word of God, as you see him in the word of God, the mirror of God is like a mirror. So you gaze at him in, in the word of God. We can become changed like him. And that's what he's doing. He's changing us to become like him. But the thing that needs to be torn and broken and dealt with is heart issues. 
Again, in Joel 2, he says, Turn to me with all your heart. Rend your heart, not your garments. It's actually not outward appearance he's looking at. It's not looking good and being PC and being presentable. That's actually not what God's looking for. He says, let your heart be opened up to me. Rend your heart. Let God do what he wants to do in your heart because he's preparing a way for the Lord. And this stuff staying in your heart is going to blind you. You won't even have to see and enter in. And it's not because God hasn't invited you, not that he hasn't done his bit to open the way. It's because our own heart issues are stopping us. And I think it's such an important time for the church. That's why we've been spending a whole term looking at the bait of Satan and some of these heart issues because God wants to remove the, the hindrances. He's actually exposing the stuff in our hearts. He's having a season when that's happening. When God's on something, It'll be happening and it'll be there for you to respond to if you'll seize the season and, and work with God. Or you can harden yourself and distance yourself and the season will come and go and you'll remain unchanged. But he's doing it because he loves us. And um, he says, I love you so much. You come to me and I'll clean you up. He's not wanting us to go away from him. He says, I want you to come near. It's like a kid that's all muddy. Run to daddy and let him clean you up. Or run to mummy because... He wants to get rid of all that horrible stuff that is a block to, to being free and intimate. He's a good God. He loves us. <laughs> and these are just blocks to intimacy, blocks to coming, coming into his presence. They're just chains that we've put there as we've gone through life and got hurt. But the very chains, the very walls, the very things that we've taken, man's way of coping with pain, and now the very things that are stopping us entering into God's presence. We thought it was a great idea to build a big wall around our life and keep us safe. Make lots of inner vows. I will never let everybody hurt me again. And make all these decisions on the inside. This is man's way of coping with pain. We've all done it. But the problem is, now we're trying to draw near to God and we're, in, we're hiding behind that wall and we can't get out. We're imprisoned behind our own... Um, mindsets and, and, and walls and inner vows and, 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 and we can't enter into the presence of God. And um, so he's doing several things right now to uncover these things. One thing he does is his word. As you went through the bait of Satan, I believe the word itself would have done what the Bible says it does. It's like a big sword and it separates sword, um, soul and spirit stuff. You can see what really was God that is the God part of you and the part of the soul which got in the way and now is all tangled up together. It's got to be separated. The God stuff stands and that's what you live out of. But the other stuff, you've got to face that. You've got to call it what it is and, and get that stone out of the way. So the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, a sharp two-edged sword, will help you see it, help you see your soul, help you see the state of it, help you own it. Another thing that's been happening too, just as you draw near to God, as you get hungry, as you say, God, I'm coming, I'm coming into that place where angels worship, I'm coming right into where you are. And then all of a sudden, just like Isaiah, think, oh, wow, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst people of unclean lips. I'm not what I thought I was. I actually thought I looked pretty good. I was doing God a favor where I went. And now I'm starting to see things about myself that you're quite ugly, that I didn't know were there, and I need you to touch me. And he touched the cold, and he touched his lips, and he had a God encounter. 
You know, the Holy Spirit is the greatest search engine out. Isn't it great? When you want to know what's in there, you want to go searching for it, ask the Holy Spirit. You don't even know what's in your hearts half the time. But I tell you what, the Holy Spirit is well able to bring it up. And one way is if you invite him to and draw near to God, that is quite likely going to be a byproduct. And that's good. Yes, and that's good. Another thing that he does do, in Deuteronomy 8 too, a lot of people go through a very dry time, like Andy was just speaking about now. It's not like you thought it was going to be. It's not all easy. God's not pouring out abundant blessings and things. It's actually dry. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And God led his people into dry times. It was good for them because things happen in dry times that don't happen when everything's good. It says he took them into the wilderness for 40 years to do things. He wanted to humble them. Dry times can be very humbling times where you not, can't rely on your own resources. Your own resources aren't cutting it. It's not enough. You need God. You've got a dependence on God. Sometimes I believe as New Zealanders, we're so filled up with the things of the world. We've been eating so much of the world. There's just no hunger there. We haven't got the hunger. But if you go to a place where there isn't the things we've got here and there's a hunger and a desperation for God, there's a different a heart attitude that's birthed. But so to humble you, to prove you, and so that you will know what's in your heart. So it's great. Even though you slay me, I'll trust you, says Job. I don't care if I don't have a good week. I still trust you. Is that what's coming out of your heart when it's hard? Because that's the sort of spirit God's putting within us, a prevailing spirit, that no matter what the circumstances might look like, we've got something else we live out of. I love that song, just one moment in your presence can change your whole perspective. And that's what it's like. Just one revelation of God, just one God encounter, just something from God, just one word. And that's all you need. It doesn't matter what circumstances look like, you can stand. But if, if you're finding when things are tough, all of the self-pity and victim mentality and poor me's coming out, God's trying to show you you're living your life and you're enthroned in your heart. And that throne he wants to have. So he's letting you see it. And if you don't see it, maybe others around you could see it and say, well, if you really want to know, I think it's all about you. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be that way because you can say it's all about him and I trust him no matter what it looks like. And another thing that happens in um, Song of Solomon 4.16, it says that we're like a garden enclosed. But then he says, come and blow north wind. Now, this is from the northern hemisphere. And the north wind came from the icy top of the world. And it was a cold wind. It was a hard wind. And if the hard, cold thing blows upon your life, it's so you can see what comes out. If we can respond, if we just have God's perspective, these can be great times and great ways in which God will use to let us see our heart. And another thing he says in Malachi 3.3, 3, he said, there's such a thing as God's fire, refiner's fire. Now, in the refiner's fire, they used to heat things up until it came to melting point and breaking point. And when things come to breaking point, it's sort of things like you've held your life together with very, very strong, like control. I can hold my life together and nothing's going to hurt me. But then sometimes a set of circumstances come 
along your way and you cannot control it any longer. The heat has come and it's come and it's come and it's come and now you're just, whoa, you've melted. This is a breaking and this is good for us. You know what happens when you break? When, when silver and gold, when it breaks, the impurities come to the surface. What's in there? Impurities are like an alloy. When you put impurities in gold, it's like an alloy. Some people do it deliberately so you can get a stronger gold than a gold that's more pure. But that, it brings hardness. And we don't want hardness. We want softness in hearts now. So these hard things that are there need to be surfaced so that we can see them and then they can be scooped off and we can be cleaned up. So there's many ways God is using right now to, to expose the stuff at our hearts because this is what he's on about and it's good I love it bring on the fire Lord it's good <laughs> and if it's dry God what am I saying out of my mouth when it's dry am I moaning and groaning and blaming everybody else because if I am I need to know that's how I respond so what are some of the stones what are some of these hard things what other ways you've probably taken to cope the walls and controls and inner vows I've talked about well, the consequence of this is, as I said, no intimacy with God. And if there's no intimacy with God, there's no fruit. It's like in the natural. You need intimacy with God to have fruit. And, and, and so that you can have a life that's not fruitful because there are huge walls around your life. Unbelief is a huge one. We don't even realize how much unbelief we've got. We're just full of our own opinions and reasonings. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like your heart is just full of all your own attitudes and opinions on things. God is trying to drop some stuff in there, and you're not picking it up. <clears throat> you know, AF, AM and FM, different frequencies, you've got to tune in if you're going to receive what God's trying to give you. But if your heart's full of unbelief, you just can't pick it up. You're not tuned that way. He's trying to drop stuff into you, and it's got nowhere to land because it's all hard there. Unbelief is just all around your life. You've actually chosen to live out of your own thoughts and imaginations and things and, and just refusing to receive what God would want to tell you about stuff. This takes a while to uncover some of our unbelief, but um, it's there. Other ways of coping, sometimes people just detach and you kind of can't feel God or get near to God because your heart long ago has kind of just gone somewhere else to keep it safe. And I wonder why David prayed, God, unite my heart to fear your name. Somehow you've got to get your heart back together again and start to bring back those areas that have gone into safe places and, and, and get your heart united again because a detached heart can't enter into the things of God. All sorts of ways people have to cope. There are wrong beliefs. You've actually believed a lie. You've actually taken things in to your spirit and, and this is what you've lived out of for a long time. Maybe you feel that God is you know, somehow wants to punish you or God's all the time going to be angry at you or some belief system you've picked up along the way. Maybe you've been under some wrong teaching. But it's stopping you from, it's like a stone now. It's got to be exposed as a lie and routed out so that you can move on. And these things need to be uncovered. And I believe the bait of Satan stuff is actually uncovered. Whoa, I've always believed this all my life. And then all of a sudden you say, hey, there's another way of thinking. And that's good. This is part of what God's doing. And a lot of people have got disappointment and grief. And as long as that's in your heart, 
you're chained, you're locked in your grief or your disappointment. And God is wanting to expose the stone and say, yeah, I've been really disappointed and it's a stone I've got to get out of the way now. I've got to move on. Bitterness has been a big one. Mistrust. But all these things, that although they're there, it's not what we called, are called to be. We have another way of living. We're called to prevail and we've got God's grace available to us to enable us to prevail. It's amazing. God's provision is there for us to enable us to break through no matter what is in our heart. I've had the most junked up heart of anybody. I mean, there's no exceptions. We've all got hearts that are warded off, hardened, full of defense mechanisms, and it's time for them to be brought out and dealt with. It's just the time. I mean, God's on it, they do it. And he's not left us unable to do it. But you know, it's possible, it says in Hebrews 12, that even though God's grace is there for us to draw on, it's possible not to take advantage of that. It says, as a warning, you can fail, in Hebrews 12, 15, you can fail to take, actually take hold of the grace of God. You're not, you don't go that way, you think, you don't respond to God. You don't respond to God's invitation to help you. His grace to enable you to forgive. His grace to enable you to move on. He's holding out his hand to help you and giving you all you need to do it. And yet some people still aren't responding and saying, thank you, Lord, for your help. I'm going to do that now. It's ready. You can fail to take advantage of that invitation. And if you're like that, if you just don't heed that invitation, it says you'll... Um, Fail, and then roots of bitterness will spring up and all your relationships will become defiled and you'll stay in a place of unable to enter into what God's got. And another thing he says in Luke 18, 6, God is coming back soon. God is coming back soon. I believe there's going to be two categories even in the church of people when he comes back. People that have been exposed to injustice because this message is actually called prevailing over injustice. Now, everybody is going to have an opportunity to experience injustice. It's life. And he says, right now, for this church, I'm giving you an opportunity to respond and to change. And when I come back, I'm going to look around the church, and there'll probably be two camps. There'll be those that took fight with their hand in what God said, and, they, and he'll come and he'll find faith. He'll find a whole company of people who said, yes, I know all those people did bad things to me, but I put my faith in that you're the one that will deal with those issues. You're the righteous judge. I've let it go. I've released it into your hands. And in my heart, there's faith. I've moved on. And there's others who are not going to be in that category. They didn't take advantage of the, of the opportunity of faith. And they'll be ones that will have um, roots in their heart of resentment still there. And it's usually expressed in two ways. Either they're outwardly angry and and full of revenge and anger to other people, or they've internalized it all and they're full of unforgiveness and bitterness still. He says, when he comes to this church, is he going to find faith? Wouldn't it be great if everybody in this church says, yes, we've dealt with all that, there's faith here. We don't have to have that junk. We've got a highway that's ready for you to come on. Oh, I just think this is what God's doing in our church, preparing us, because the church is coming into its finest hour. Now, I want to talk about two people today that, um, and, and their response to unjust treatment. Just to compare the two. They both were under the same person. And, uh, and we want to see how these two people handle it. They're both uh, under Saul. Now Saul was a, became 
as he didn't allow God to work in his life, became a very controlling person. He used people to achieve his own goals. He, was, um, he destroyed families. He was a very difficult man to, to have to live under. But there's two people here. There's David and there's Michael, his wife. Now, David is a man that had a God perspective on life. You know, he's a man that right from a young age just had a God perspective on life. He learned to open his heart and reach out to God and drew the presence of God around his life. I love reading the Psalms. If you want to see how you think with a God perspective, just read the Psalms. And Sometimes he didn't start off with a God perspective. He might have come in quite angry. But as soon as he turned his heart towards God, he started to change the way he sang and he saw from God's perspective what things were really like and he just maintained his heart turned towards God. And he said, one thing, I love Psalm 27, one thing, just one thing have I desired of the Lord. Just one thing will I seek after. Just that I might be in the house of the Lord, that I might behold him. That's what he hungered for. There's so many people here hungering for that. But it's got to become the one thing. The one thing, the central thing, the most important thing is that I'd know him and be able to gaze upon him and be changed and become more like him. That's what he's building in, in, in the church. But then there's his wife, <clears throat> who I believe really still was self-absorbed. It was still really all about her. But let's look what happened to her. And Michael, now she was the king's daughter. At the time when David went out and killed Goliath, part of the trophy was he was going to marry the king's daughter. Unfortunately, old Saul, even though he was supposed to give him one daughter, changed his mind and gave her another daughter. But anyway, it's okay. He saw that Michael loved David. Now, this was first love. She, it was a love story. She loved David. It was good. She just loved this man, and, and it was her husband, and she was given to David as, as, as a bride. And once, next thing you hear as you go through 1 Samuel, just read through 1 Samuel, see what happens to her. Next thing, her father's starting to go for David. <clears throat> but she, she withstood her father. He came, and they got him out the window, and she stuffed a, an image in the bed and protected him and covered him and, and, and so that he could escape from her father. So that's good too. She stood by her man, even though they were going for his life. But things got worse for her. When David ended up a fugitive, she got then taken by her horrible controlling father and given to another man. Now, that's unjust treatment. Here you, probably an unwilling wife in the house of another man. And she had to uh, endure that. And I, I believe that through that time, though, there was a slow decline of, um, of hope. You know, when's David going to come back and rescue me? I mean, how long? How long do I have to wait in this place? That cry that goes out, how long? It's been so long since I've prayed for some things. I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and Nothing's happened. It's been so long. That's a time as whether you can endure through a time of long waiting. Long waiting. But that's what she was her, her test. She had a long time. Then eventually in 2 Samuel, she was brought back to David. But the time she was brought back, inside her heart, a lot of stuff had got in. And she hadn't processed and, and remained God-focused. In fact, in 2 Samuel 6, which is the main passage I want to look at, so you can turn to 2 Samuel 6. 
This is just a most amazing time. I believe it's quite a prophetic time for our church. This is a time when the, when the presence of God, the very ark which symbolized the presence of God, was coming into the city. Isn't this an awesome time? The God's tangible presence was being brought in. The hour of the greatest triumph and victory of her husband's ministry. And what has happened to, to Michael? We see her in, um, in 2 Samuel 6. I'll just look at the Michael part for a start. It says, as the ark in verse 16 came in, Michael, Saul's daughter, she looked through a window. She saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. And after he'd given offerings and blessed all the people, he came to bless his household. Ugh, didn't the king make an idiot of himself today? You're supposed to be the king and you're leaping around there half naked in front of all those girls. And, ugh, you look a bit stupid. Didn't look like a king to me. And she just, just taunted him. Yeah, she just, she just, she was full of criticism, of scorn, and, and just held all this venom on him. Wow, that's sad. That's sad. What about for her? One, she was alone. She was now in a place standing there alone because her resentment and bitterness had cut her off from all her relationships. She should have been out there with the other people celebrating and being part of it. She was unable to participate. Victim mentality, uh, all that stuff, and bitterness in her heart just isolated her from being able to enter into what God was doing. She scorned her husband, despised him, manipulated him. You know, if, if you've got to please me, well, you've got to hold back from all that God stuff you're doing. And um, she hit against her spirit. You know, you're common, you're low, you expose yourself. You just really had a good go at her spirit. She's now in a loveless marriage. And then it says here, and um, in verse 23, then Michael, the daughter, had no, no child until the day of her death. Great barrenness, a barren womb, but more so she was spiritually barren, spiritually dead. Now, later on, she was given five nephews to raise, her sister's um, children she raised. But later on, all those were hanged to, to pay for the Gideonites that, they, that they'd killed people there and they had to then pay, restore it. So the five nephews she raised were hanged. Her husband later committed adultery and maybe her hard attitude contributed towards that. But she fell short of her destiny. That was not where God intended her to end up. She got there because of her heart responses. Isolated, alone, looking through a window, full of resentment. That is such a sad story of a person who she could have released forgiveness. She could have in the hard times still maintained her heart towards the Lord. She could have drawn on the grace of God. She failed to draw on what was available. She just went inward on herself and got full of self-pity and resentment. But David, let's look at David. He was under the same controlling person. But God was shaping a man of God. It was God's allowing that, him to be under Saul because God wanted to work stuff in him. It wasn't the devil's idea. God was fully allowed him to be where he was. And he was anointed by Samuel, just like Saul was. And, um, and even as a young boy, he was taken out of his home because Saul used to get demonized as he started to go off. He used to get this atmosphere around him. But David, even at that early age, could come and draw the presence of the Lord around 
so much so that the, uh, the demons would go and God's presence would fill the place. He learned to tap into that. He learned how to bring God's presence around his life. This is just an amazing thing. It was way back in the early days when there was nobody he did that. Just in his youth, he learned to draw God's presence. He learned to worship. He learned to be touched by God. He learned to change the atmosphere around him. Wow. Um, then, of course, he, was his, his, um, he, he risked his life to become a national hero. He saw these Philistines, but already his mind was filled of God and God's promises. When he looked at that giant, he didn't see a giant. He saw a person that was outside the covenants of God. This uncircumcised um, uh, Philistine. He's not even one of God's chosen people that are living in the promises and provision of God. He's outside of that. Are you scared of him? I mean, he already knew what it was like to be a covenant person with God. He had already changed a lot of his thinking because he was dwelling in God's presence. And of course, his wife was taken away. And Merab, his first wife, he was given, lost her. And he had to go and work for the second wife. Saul said, oh, yes, you can have this one, Michael. He knew that Michael loved him, so he's got to use this to manipulate him again. He said, okay, for a hundred skins of, um, four skins of Philistines, you can have, have this woman. So he went out and did double. <laughs> I love it. Okay, he, he didn't give half measure. He just, okay, and he went and got 200 Philistines killed and got this wife. He had a man of a, just of such diligence. He did things and he just didn't do anything half pie. He did it really, really well. And of course, the situation changed. He was there, his king's son, sitting at the table in a lot of place of favor. And then, of course, Saul started to get envious at him because everybody started saying what a great guy he was. And then he started getting javelin thrown at him. And this, this is what we can experience. Just when God's favor is on your life, just when things are going well for you, people start firing fiery darts at you, words that really hurt your spirit, they go at you, you know. David experienced all of that. Fiery darts, you know, and then he was demoted and publicly shamed. Instead of being the king's son, he's now out on the run. Saul was after his life. He was um, pursued right out into the desert as a national fugitive. No bed, no compliments, no nice service. He's out there, out there doing it really hard. His wife was given away to another man, and he tried. You know, the story in, in the Beta Satan when when he tried to reconcile with Saul, it was in that cave of Engedi, and he, he, he cut the bit of the garment. And he was saying, Saul, can't you see my heart's pure? I've got no, nothing in my heart towards you. He'd actually learned to respect authority. He knew that Saul was God's anointed. He wouldn't even speak against a man, even though he was badly treated by him. He knew, he knew these things in his spirit, how to respond. And he said, can't you see my heart's pure? Can't you just be a father to me? Can't you shape me? And I've got no malice in my heart. Saul just walked away. So even though he, he was yearning and, and wanting help, he had all this, all this stuff he went through. He, um, he, um, he was in another foreign country, but through all of this, he kept his spirit sweet. And he's one that actually came into his destiny. So he had this fear of God about him. He knew, uh, he knew how to fear God. He knew how to, how to fear God's authorities. He, he kept inquiring of God. God, what do I do in this situation? Even just the chapter before this finest hour. Already, what do I do, God? All these Philistines, all these giants, probably intimidating giants, are full of the valley. What do I do? He said, oh, this has got to be a time of breakthrough for you. You just rise up. I'm with you. You're going to be able to slay that giant and break through. 
And then he had another battle. What do I do this time, God? He said, no, this is one you've got to pray through. This is one where the mulberry bush sound is going to be there. This is a time when in your knees and a prayer and weeping, you're going to get a breakthrough. You know, he kept, God, what's the strategy? How do I cope with all the stuff that's happening around me? This is just before he came into his best hour. Probably like the time you're facing now. Sometimes it'll be a time of breakthrough. You just stand up in your authority and you'll slay the giants. Other times you just got to get on your knees and say, God, I'm going to fight this battle in, in the prayer room. And then, of course, he had a great idea of how the presence of God was going to come into the city. He got this cart and God said, nah, no new carts. That's not the way I'm going to bring my presence into the house. It's not going to be some newfangled idea. Hey, it's going to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. God's glory is going to be carried on our shoulders. We're called to carry his glory. Wow, this is how the presence of God is ushered into the city. It's carried on our shoulders. Wow, this is such an awesome time. And, um, and what you'll see here in David's life now is incredible passion, unabandoned passion. I love it when our young ones come and just passionately worship. This is God's stuff. This is what God did. He was a king and he was a priest. At times as a king, you stand up in the spirit, you take authority in the spirit world and you deal with some stuff. But this time, he was in his priestly garments and he was worshipping and giving priestly expressions of worship to the God because he's a priest. And we had to offer sacrifices to our Lord by worshipping him passionately. Oh, you know, these things of the spirit really do. Um, the life of the spirit is so offensive to some stuff, isn't it? It's offensive to tradition. You want tradition, this life of the spirit is going to offend that. It's, it's offensive to your dignity. Hey, there's a big price to have to hold your dignity. Barrenness like Michael. Oh, you look undignified doing that. I might be undignified, but boy, was he fruitful. She was the one that was barren. This life of the spirit cuts across so much stuff. Your soul, your soul doesn't want to do it. Your soul says sometimes, it argues with you, it says, oh, stop that, just sit down, just, just keep cool. You know, don't go over the top. But I love David's response. Even when Michael came and said, well, oh, you're going a bit over the top today. He said, you haven't seen anything yet, girl. <laughs> I'm going to be yet more vile still. I thought he wasn't even worried about keeping his family happy. He was more concerned with keeping God happy. He was a God pleaser. Your family's not going to like a lot of what you do. Relationships, they might get upset. But this is what spirit life is like. When you start to draw on God and just express the love of God, these are some of the characteristics. There'll be passion. There'll be an abundance. He came in and he was abundant. He, he just gave to everybody. He, he blessed the people. And he was God-pleasing. This is kingdom stuff. This is what God is birthing in us. If we will prevail over injustice, if we will keep our heart turned to him, and draw on his perspective on whatever happens to us, we can prevail. If we draw on his grace, we can break through. Doesn't matter like those guys in prison. Injustice. All they're doing is doing what God called them to do. But they worshipped and brought just God's presence into the place and changed things. Those in barren times, still those that wait upon the Lord will not be disappointed. We've got to wait upon him. It's such an amazing time that God wants us as a people. And I believe even at this point, there's going to be two types of people. Some of you will really be identifying with Michael. 
you know that God is doing something and you're tending to get a bit irked at the abundance of passion and the overemphasis on maybe just you know abandonment to the Lord and 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 really is, is a is a there's a root in your heart of self. God said in the last time people are going to be lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. These things will be enshrined in the heart of people. It'll be all about them. And they don't know it. That's the trouble. You don't know it. That really your thinking's all about you. And God wants to say, I want that idol out of your heart because it's really all about me. And if you can just become God-centered, then you'll come in to your destiny. You'll come in. You'll be able to carry my glory. You'll become part of ushering in the presence of God into the city. So I believe, just as we um, finish now, maybe we could just have the musicians. I believe we, it's time to invite God to blow upon our heart. It's time to invite God to expose and let us see stuff because I know we want to prepare the way of the Lord. God is preparing this way. We want to participate in what God's doing. Just think what it'd be like if in the time, and you know, in the time when the ark was coming to the city, the trumpets were blowing. This is a prophetic declaration happening. And this is happening now. The trumpets are going, the prophetic declaration saying, hey, God's presence is being carried into the city. But what a grief to find that you've remained locked away in your heart. And even though the invitation is there to be participating into it, your own heart issues are leaving you there looking through a window, critical, just judging everything and full of resentment. You know, it's time to get rid of that. So maybe as we worship, I believe the word of God will be cutting into hearts as you've exposed yourself to the bait of Satan. I believe the fire of God needs to come around our lives today. We can invite the fire. We can invite the fire to melt our hearts, knowing that this is good for us because it's going to show not only sin and, and and the consequences of sin, so we can be purified. So we can just stand now and sing. I really believe, um, want those that feeling that they're identifying more with the Michael. You're just feeling that somehow you're not really entering into this season of God and you really want to invite the fire of God to come and to blow and to melt and to help you open your heart and rend your heart because it's only you that's going to stop you entering into what God's got for you. God's invitation's already there. He's saying, come on up, come on. The only thing stopping you is your heart. Wow, what a grief to have your heart holding you back from entering into the finest hour of the church. So maybe as we sing, I'll just invite those that I would feel that you're more like a Michael today and you want to invite the fire to come. I'd just love to pray for you. Maybe you could come on this side of the church and we'll call down and release the fire of God to begin to do something in your heart to help you get free, to help that stuff come to the surface, to help it be scooped off. And if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, You've just never given your heart to the Lord. You don't even know what it is to have a destiny in God. You don't know what it is to have the, 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 a relationship with God. I believe this is a time and I'd love to lead you to the Lord. Is there anybody here today that is in that category that you're an unsaved person, you've never yet given your heart to the Lord, but you'd like to respond to the Lord today? This could be a great day for you, a day when you become you open the doorway for you to be able to come into the things of God. Being born again is the entrance point. Unless you're born again, you can't even see the things of God. This is the first doorway where you open and invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. 
Is there anybody today who would like to invite Jesus? Open that door today and allow Jesus to come into their life. If you if you hard, you think about that, I'd love you to come up here. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to lead you to the Lord. Because God has got so much more. That's the entrance point. And God is able to do so much in life. He's got a destiny for you. He's got a, a purpose for your life. But others are aware of the purpose, but you're still having to invite God to do heart stuff. Don't hold back today. Let's invite God to come and continue to prepare our hearts. Continue to work on our hearts. Invite the fire of God to come around our lives. Can we sing any? Take me away with you to the place come. we see come face Come on, right to the front. If you're a Michael, yeah. if you've got tendencies of Michael, you come. You don't want to stay in a place of aloneness. You don't want to stay isolated. You don't want to stay barren. Come, come. You come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your refining fire. Thank you for your presence, Lord, coming into the house. Thank you, you're preparing the way of the Lord. Oh, take us away with you, Lord. Take us into that place where you want to take us. Oh, we want to go. Oh, we want to rise up and go, Lord. Oh, we want to become part of what you're doing. Oh,
Come, let's believe God is doing a work. God is doing a work in our, in our church. God is coming to prepare the way. Come, let the fire of God come. Come on, leaders, just release the fire. Oh, release the presence of God to come. Oh, God, come. Come and fall upon us, Lord. We're hungry for you. We're hungry for you, Lord. Lord, we want you to come. We want you to fall upon us. We want you to melt us. We want you to change us. Oh, we want, Lord, to come into your destiny. To come into your purposes. Lord, fall upon us. Fall upon us, Lord. Fall upon us. Fire. 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 Holy Ghost, fire. Oh, fall upon us, Lord. Lord, we become hardened. We become hardened. Lord, we turn to our own devices. Lord, it's time for you to come. It's time, oh Lord, to yield ourselves. To surrender. To surrender ourselves afresh. Oh, to surrender ourselves afresh. Surrender control. Surrender those in the house. Surrender every strategy you've taken. Because the power of God is here. The grace of God is here. There is another way. There is another way. Oh, there is another way. Oh, God, we welcome you in this place. We welcome your refining. We welcome your refining fire. Blow, Lord. Blow. Blow upon us, Lord. Blow upon us. Change us. Lord, help us to be prepared for your coming. Lord, it's all about you. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you and preparing the way. God, come. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let your fire burn. Let your fire burn. Let those walls melt. Let those walls melt. Let the walls come down. Fire. Oh, Holy Ghost, fire. Oh, let it come. 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 I want to thank you for your hungry hearts. I want to thank you for your open hearts. I want to thank you for your hunger for God. Oh, I want to thank you for coming. I want to release the church now. If you are ready to go, we want to release you, encourage you to come back and share with Andrew Shepherd tonight. But just keep open. Keep open in the prayer closet. Say, God. Show me myself. Draw near to me. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your openness. Bless you. Bless you. We bless you in Jesus' name.